I, I grew up in the punk scene listening to bands called like Alienated Despair and stuff right. like that. Yeah. They were all I remember I was about... at a party once and this guy had a sweatshirt on and I was wasted and his sweatshirt said, fuck the universe. And I was like, yes, I've never heard anything that was more right on. Like, I hate the whole universe. <laughs> Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast live stream bonus episode. That is right. If you are watching this right now, you're one of the sexiest people alive. That's right. Mm hmm. Just that's like impenetrably true or very penetrably true. I'm sorry. I'm getting gross early on. Um, what's going on? I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini. We have such a good bonus show today. It's going to be a little different, okay? Not going to lie. We're not going to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and other weirdos, although we should, and they're fun, and my God, um, what'll they do next? No, we're going to actually talk about radical self-care. And I specify radical because... The other stuff is just bullshit. Uh, and I think we need to do that. And especially when it comes to um, social justice organizing, movement work, people who are involved in, in social justice uh, life, people who organize on campaigns, people who organize in unions, um, people who take to the streets and organize demonstrations, who stop pipelines, who... Um, who write, who cover these things, who are journalists and who are every day trying to um, work towards a better world and all of the things that one encounters in that world um, and all of the ways that we are not supported or support one another in ways that we should. It Additionally, uh, I'm going to be sharing stories I never shared. I've never shared, sharing, had not shared, uh, ever. Uh, on this podcast, pretty much anywhere. Um, but kind of about my early days organizing and sort of what happened to me and the ways that like, you know, like our stresses obviously manifested themselves in our bodies. And, you know, we turn on ourselves sometimes in really, really small ways and sometimes in really, really huge ways. So if you're not holding crystals right now, go get them. If you're not burning incense, do that. Tuck in. Uh, just like buckle up. If you're not into like this kind of discussion, find out why. Ask yourself, why am I resistant to talking about caring for myself, healing, physical ailments? You know, what does that say about me? <laughs> so uh, that being said, I just want to thank everyone who's watching this, who, who is a patron, who gets early access to this content. Thank you so much. We've hit our goal the first goal we ever had as a Bituation Room podcast uh, for $2,500 a month, um, which then immediately went down to like 24 because people were like, oh my God, last the first of the month, I'm getting charged. Except guess what? You're supporting this show and you're amazing and you're awesome and it really goes a long way and it helps us do bonus episodes like this on a random Wednesday. So thank you. Thank you for everyone who will become a patron. Do it. 
patreon.com slash bituation room. Two bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks gets you a shout out. 20 bucks gets you access to the monthly AMAs. We are working on merch, people. I've been saying this for many, many weeks, and it sounds like I'm lying, and I would think so too. However, we are trying to make sure that that merch is sustainable and um, ideally has the best business practices, right? Made in the USA, union made, et cetera, et cetera. It's not easy. We're not going to be perfect on this, but I'm making sure that we get you good stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, I think that's about it. Let's just get into this. I've got two amazing guests joining me. Um, one is a comic. One is an organizer. They both come to this discussion of radical self-care from different angles, but I hope to sort of braid them together like a little, you know, challah bread. I've never made challah, but I know you braid it, and I'm excited to do that. So my first guest, uh, she has been on Viceland. She's been at the SF Punchline uh, down here in, in L.A. She's been on all kinds of amazing shows, including her own cult comedy which is, I believe, a monthly show that she runs in Silver Lake. Um, she also is the host of a podcast that talks all about climate change from a very, from a comedic and from a personal level called Hot Topic. Please welcome Jessica Seeley. What's up? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for being here. You and eight people chilling on a Wednesday. Here we are. Here we are. Um, and joining us also, before we get too into this, is the movement facilitator, the social movement facilitator who's trained thousands of activists in the U.S. and across the globe, the executive director of the Wildfire Project, a nonviolent direct action coordinator with the Ruckus Society, and someone who spent the last 20 years as an organizer and strategist in ecological and racial justice sectors, building the movement for climate justice. He is currently, or this was before, working, I don't know if he still is, working with Choose Democracy, an organization committed to preventing <laughs> an undemocratic power grab. This was before the election. Um, Joshua Con Russell, please welcome him to the to the stream. Joshua, I love how like there was an attempt at an undemocratic power grab, but not quite in the way that we thought. It was like super disorganized. Yeah, it was it was way dumber than we expected. Well, I think we expected it to be dumb. It was just dumb in different ways. Than, than yeah. maybe we anticipated yeah, different we flavors like, of dumb. Yeah, we were like, it'll be dumb, but maybe successful. And like maybe a bunch of dumb, you know, military officials will be into it. Yeah, give them a couple years or a year and a half and we'll see We'll see how much they've gotten their ducks in a row. Absolutely. I mean, with with Democrats and Republicans like these, we can definitely expect it. Um, I'm so happy to have both of you here and... I wanted to start off by just asking you how it's been to re-enter the world because this people might be listening to this at other times, but this was like my first weekend out in like it was Memorial Day weekend and I did like six shows in San Francisco. A lot of them were indoors. People were maskless. People, some were like the, the microphones weren't sanitized. There was no microphone condom. Nobody was checking Vax cards. It was like both surreal and freeing. And um, I feel normal. And then also like incredibly privileged that like, around the world people are still struggling to get access to the, the vaccine 
How did um, you, Jessica, how was your, I know you guys had a, a show recently. Yeah, we threw our first show back, but we threw it outdoors just like one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And being around people performing, you feel alive, you feel euphoria. At the same time, I was like, I didn't realize like how much energy there is at shows. Like just being kind of isolated for a year, I just like, I, you know, after doing shows like all the time, you don't really realize like how kind of chaotic energy wise they are. Yeah. And like also like how vulnerable performing is. Yes. So I'm just kind of coming at it with this new awareness of like, this is a lot (laughs) (laughs) and it's really cool, but it's like, there's, it makes sense to recover from every show. Oh my God. I, and, and yeah. And after that whole weekend and like seeing people, I don't know if you had this, but I was just like tired. Like, I'm like, I know I can see more people, but I'm tired of people, right? Like I'm tired. I can't be social right now. You know, yeah. uh, I don't have boundless, like we've just, I'm like, I want to be in bed by 10 and I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, I know we, we all have much better sleep schedules now. Yeah. Whether or not we stay asleep, obviously that's very different, but you know, we, we at least <laughs> want to be in bed. Joshua, how is your, how's your reentry been? What's going on in through your head? Uh, it's exhilarating and awkward. I, I went to, I mean, I, I saw you, I came down to LA for the first time, my first time leaving Oakland in like a year and a half. Cause it had been a couple months of not leaving Oakland before the pandemic hit. And, um, it was my first time in a restaurant period. I mean, during the, I didn't even eat like an outdoor situations. And so going indoors maskless was like so exciting. It felt, it felt dangerous, even though I didn't, even though I've, I've been vaccinated for a little while. Cause um, I have, I have some autoimmune disorders. So I, I got vaccinated earlier than most. Mm-hmm. So it's also been fun to like, there was that sort of period where I felt safe, but I was still observing all of the protocol because the CDC hadn't changed its guidelines and all right. that. And like, you don't, you know, you want to still fly the flag for safety protocol. But now that, now that you're, you're, there's some loosening up, it's exciting. Also, even just hearing you, you all talk about doing your work in real life rather than through the internet is also like I, and we'll, we'll get more into this later, but you know, a, a lot of what I do is kind of like group therapy for activist organizations mm-hmm. and um, not for the sake of therapy, but for healing for the sake of grassroots activist groups becoming powerful and having clearer goals and better strategies and getting out of their own way. And for the last year we and a half, we've been doing it all over zoom. And yeah, this man. summer I'm going to get to facilitate retreats uh, in person again. And I just get so you, you'd think that like facilitating a, a workshop over zoom might be easier than in person. It's not, you don't like, you have to like pay attention like 10 times as hard because you have way fewer social cues to go on. Yeah. And for my ADHD brain, it's incredibly hard to keep focusing you don't get any energy back from the group. Right. It just only saps you. You know, it doesn't fill you up with the love of yes. connection and all that. And so I can't I can't wait to do my work in person. But the social yeah. life in person now is good too. 
you can't like get up and go to the back of the meeting and just like stretch your calves like an old person before an airplane, like a, a, a flight. Like that's so that's so me. Like just like I'm gonna just stand for no reason in the back and like you know maybe buy the snacks, but like yeah, also stretching. I just can't wait to be that actual old person. Be like, oh, she's old. She's weird. Her body hurts, which is actually a lot of what my journey has been with the self care stuff. But did you guys employ? any of the things that you've like cultivated over the years of like how to take care of yourself, how to take care of your body and your mind in this year and change of, of the pandemic and of the emotional stress, uh, stress of the, like the mental stress of the uh, not knowing for, for example, when I was saying we couldn't sleep, like, uh, you know, for real, I just couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Like I could get to sleep. Then I would wake up immediately and I would do the like breathing in, like holding my breath for five seconds, then breathing out five seconds, that kind of thing. The slow breathing would help me. Um, definitely meditation before bed, but it was like, it was haunting. And then of course, like pretty much yoga as much as I could, which is very, I need for other reasons, but it was like, I don't know, Jessica, I know you're sober and I want to talk to you about the 12 step stuff, but like, how was that in this time? You know, it's so funny. Cause like in the first six months I had so many people say like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't know how you're not drinking right now. And I think they meant it like as a compliment, like, Oh, that's so cool. Like cool that you can do that right now. But it, it was like hard to hear because it's like, you're making it sound like I need a drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're dramatizing, you're dramatizing my sobriety. Like it must be so difficult, but it's like, you know, uh, if, if you drink and you, and you're about, you can numb out for a second that that really is only going to help you for that minute. <laughs> and yeah. then you still have to deal with the stress. Like it doesn't for me oh, go God, yeah. anywhere. And like, if I was like drinking and using during this year, it would have been a way darker year for me. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I don't drink or use normally. Like, um, it just spirals down so so I had to go like way deeper this year into learning how to self-soothe like fucking baths mm. uh just like being so gentle with myself and tr and just treating myself like especially in those first couple months you know I'm so scared I'm like my mom's gonna die every you know not knowing what's happening um in the world I was just like I had to go so much deeper. I got a new trauma therapist and all this stuff. And I just, I just treated myself like I was like a little hamster. that was just like, <laughs> like freaking totally. out and just, here's just, some wood chips. Totally. Like, yeah, totally. You're like a little like fragile, like a shuddering bird. And you just kind of have to like, you treat, you treat the creature of your, yeah. of yourself. There's like the creature and then there's like our whatever spiritual, everything else. But I just had to focus on just being a little animal and just taking care of my little animal needs. <laughs> like <laughs> snacks. Start real simple, man. Like, so when I'm in a panic mode, I'll like forget to like drink water. Like I got to yeah. go down to basics. Like totally. you got to have a cup of water right now. Like you got to have a piece of bread. You got to bathe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know. Did you actually set up like one of those little hamster like uh, sucky bottles like upside down? Just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's funny because like the I pellets- want one of those next to my bed. You don't you feel like next to your bed you just want to like roll over and suckle on? T- totally. They make giant ones. I mean, they, I they feel should. like. I feel like the Peloton, which I don't have for obvious economic reasons, but that's basically <laughs> just the hamster wheel. <laughs> Joshua, did you, what about yourself? Well, I just want to shout out both, well, both the water things you named. Jessica. <laughs> I'm a big fan of baths, but also drinking water is no joke. I didn't realize until this year, how, like I drink now two to three times as much water in a day as I used to drink. Uh, And um, I just didn't before, I mean, before I I started doing like, like somatic work with other people, I just did not appreciate how important it was to drink lots of water to your basic mental health and, um, and breathing, you know, like I, I grew up with childhood asthma and I've spent most of my life not being present with my breath and it sounds Mm. kind of woo woo to say like be present with your breath. But like my partner is just reminding me to breathe like every 10 seconds, like breathe on purpose, breathe deeper. And that doesn't annoy you. Cause I tell that to Matt all the time and he's just like, Oh, it's so helpful to me. I mean, it depends on the tone. If, 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 (laughs) if my partner's like irritated and I feel condescended to in the moment or like my little ego got hurt by being like, don't talk down to me. Then I have a moment, but I'm actually always grateful for the reminder because I don't remember to breathe and it makes everything better. And like that getting back to basics, like you're saying, Jessica is just like, you know, I've, I've in this last year had um, a few friends die. And Mm. one thing that is remarkable about, the social movements that I get to be a part of and serve is that we hold grieving space a lot. And cause people are dying a lot uh, in general, but also in the context of social movements that are fighting injustice. Um, yeah. And so uh, learning how to remind people to be with their breath and to drink water and go back to the basics and how like, you know, we're all just a bunch of, of tubes and various chemicals in our body and aligning them, paying attention to what the body's saying rather than disassociating from it with a drink or whatever. And I'm not, I do drink sometimes. Uh, I haven't really drank this year, but I did last year have a little while where I was um, drinking alcohol a lot to self-medicate. And in that moment, it felt or I told myself that it was kind of liberating to be like, it's a pandemic. I can do what I want. Don't bug me. I'm, you know, doing my best. And then very quickly that shifted for me into being like, oh, I feel empowered and in my agency by actually tending to my real needs rather than numbing them out. Mm. And I now have the space, you know, cause I'm not very, you know, being social to, to, to do that. And, and the other thing that was great about like the pandemic for me was like, I, I used to like going on hikes, but I never made time for it. And I'm lucky to live in the Bay area where there's a lot of beautiful hikes, like right nearby. And that was like the one social thing I could do with people is go on hikes outside. And so now I I'm like constantly exercising outside by hiking with other people. It's my way to like be social. Like I, I was just able to, fold taking care of myself 
socially into taking myself care of myself physically and mentally. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I'm, I'm coming out of the pandemic with all these healthier habits for sure. That's great, dude. I, I definitely was like, I would look at my liquor station. It's a station. And while I was doing yoga and be like, I wonder what I'm going to make tonight. Is it going to be just a regular Negroni? Is it like, I was just, that's how I definitely did. And now I'm scaling What's back. Negroni? Oh, it's sounds um, like jabroni. It's it is not it is not for jabronis. If you don't know what a Negroni <laughs> is, you are a jabroni, and it's delicious. Um, it's like gin and um, what's the other? Damn it! It's a uh, uh, Becca. What is it again? It's um, it's a gin and tonic. It's a gin and tonic. No, it's th <laughs> it's equal parts gin, Campari, and the red stuff. <laughs> red vermouth. Vermouth. Okay, it's gin, vermouth, and uh, and Campari, and it's effing delicious. And then you get a little lemon, uh, uh, orange peel in it. Uh, it's fine. Here's here's what I really here here's what I really want to say about this. I think that when you when a lot of people enter into a discussion about self-care, especially people who are progressives on the left, Marxist people who are like there are giant enemies of capitalism, racism, state power, that this all feels small. You know what I mean? And it feels like um, not important. And I think through my personal life and discovery, I've decided and discovered the opposite. And I know Joshua, you're, you also have, have, have discovered that as well, that actually, you know, taking care of yourself is fundamental and is actually incredibly radical, especially in an overworked, underpaid, you know, society that we're in right now. And like, so I don't know where to really start, but I kind of want to just like tell you where, because I feel like my story is, is not, is not, it's serious, but it's not like, Joshua, I know you were like laid up for like years and this was not my experience, but I want to, because it's like a little lightweight, I want to just share like how I used to think about body and mind. I was like, well, that's all some woo woo shit. Like that is all some new age stuff that if you've got money and you can go on your yoga retreat and you can buy your like little essential oils and all this, like all of that is like more capitalism. And it's also like white chick shit in, 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 in the worst way possible. Um, and WCC. no <laughs> WCS, WCS. <laughs> um, you know, and, and of course there are many things that I still dislike about yoga, but um, my big revelation came when I was about 24 years old and I had to see if I needed my wisdom teeth out, uh, short story long. Here's what happened. <laughs> I got, I, I got an opinion about from a dentist that said, oh yeah, you don't need your wisdom teeth out. And I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I need my wisdom teeth out. And I swear to God, I think I heard a program on WBAI or some random ass, just some random shit where someone was like, well, um, gum and tooth like decay or in around the wisdom teeth could lead to cancer. Something in my mind and my hypochondriac overthinking rant, crazy self was like, I need my wisdom teeth out. So I went to an orthodontist in, in the Bay Area who was not going to assess my mouth. He was going to butcher my mouth. 
immediately. Mm. And I got all four of my wisdom teeth out in one fell swoop. And um, I did not need it. So mm. I was fine for about a month. Then I get, I'm healing, et cetera. I get back to my desk job. I'm working a half-time job, only 20 hours a week at the War Resisters League, which is a pacifist, uh, uh, secular pacifist organization, good homies there. Um, uh, one of them who actually did just pass away. And so I want to definitely talk about that grief stuff, Joshua. Um, and I couldn't do my job because my arms my arms and my like entire jawline were in pain. My, my tendons were fucked up. My, my, my neck was fucked up. I started not being able to type. I couldn't click a mouse. And until this day, I cannot click a mouse. And so I tried everything. I did ergonomics. I went to physical therapy. I went to, um, like, like every Feldenkrais, that's a thing you can do for RSI sufferers. Um, and nothing worked, right? And it was a whole 180 degree change of my life. I couldn't hold bags for myself. I couldn't open doors mm -hmm. for myself. I had an 85-year-old body in the body of a 24-year-old. And I was just stuck. I was stopped. And I realized through the process of getting better, of slowing down, of doing less work, of drinking more water, of eating less sugar, of being more patient and kind to myself, of doing yoga, of actually exercising and stretching, of finally finding an osteopath who I, and osteopathy is a field that I will proselytize about, and I want to hear what you guys will proselytize about, but I finally had to realize that like the way that I was living was totally out of sync with my body. The way that I was overworking myself, sitting at the desk all the time. I was fucking my body up. I didn't care. I didn't under, I thought it was all woo. -woo. I thought, because here's the thing, Western medicine couldn't help me. Nothing could help me. Like physical therapists, you know how they are. They're like, oh, we can massage you from your elbow to your hand. And you're like, oh, but my neck hurts. And they're like, nah, see, that's not in your prescription. It's not what it says. So you're like, okay, well, great. Well, then you're not going to help me. And I think a lot of people who have ailments and have run into walls with, with Western medicine definitely, um, I think, can relate to this kind of experience and the way that our healthcare system is so fucked up. The point is I ended up actually leaving New York City because on a broader scale, I also realized that I didn't really have the community that I thought I had. A lot of them were, you know, organizers and activists. And my phone, I had a flip phone. <laughs> I didn't have any more like room for contacts in my phone is like, you know, when you run out of contacts, there's something like 300 contacts you can have. Um, and then I realized, oh, it's a Friday night. I don't have anyone to call. Mm -hmm. Like on any given Friday, I have all these comrades. I have all these homies. I was doing, look, and this is not to throw anyone under the bus. I love the people that I organize with. I loved if I had been kinder to myself, I could have loved that community and given more to it. But I held myself to, and we can talk about this, Joshua. But anyway, that is, I held myself to different standards, blah, 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 blah. So that was my literal physical, someone shut me down. And it was me who got in myself into this dumbass mess that literally still to, still to this day, I can't use a mouse. Everything has to be ergonomic. And y'all, I'm going to do like a bonus something on Instagram to show you how I get through my life with this ailment. Because um, I think we all have a little bit of RSI or a lot of it, as in my case. Um, but yeah, Joshua, I know that 
I want to just like, okay, let's rewind because I'm sharing a lot about myself, but I also am just curious as to like, one thing that really had stuck out to me when I first started organizing was just the way that like, we're trying to come into a new space and change the world. And yet we are beat down by, again, a rat race of capitalism, sexism, racism, um, you know, someone catcalling you on the street, someone, whatever, like anything. And then we suddenly come into this space and we're just like these broken, overworked people. Um, So like fundamentally, I'm like, we just need to just like take a fucking 15 minutes to just kind of (laughs) like zone out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the left is, is like a, like a trauma pressure cooker, Hmm. you know? And that's, and to, to your point earlier about, you know, this not being some woo woo thing, like the neoliberal version of self care is the idea that like handle shit on your own, take a bath. Like it's a the depoliticized version. And mm-hmm. what I've learned, I, I had to learn this just over and over and over again. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you three ways that I had to learn this because I mm-hmm. was just so done that it had to be like beaten into me the lessons. The first was that when I was a younger activist, especially like in the late 90s and early 2000s, when I was like really looking up to this idea of like wanting mentorship and wanting elders. And I, you know, like both of us are part of this political generation that we're kind of like orphans, right? Like there's like, we came in just after the 80s where there was this sort of like black mm-hmm. hole of activism. And so there there wasn't really a like a cohort of organizers immediately above us. Mm-hmm. So we were looking towards, you know, uh, activists from the 60s and, and early 70s. And when I came to the Bay Area, especially, uh, but also before that, I, I was looking for, for, mentorship mostly from people who like had read books that I really liked who I thought were really cool and famous and did big important stuff and uh you know again not to name individuals but but I quickly learned like oh most of these people are fucking broken like people who who I, I I still respect tremendously but they came from a political generation that thought Number one, the revolution was like just around the corner, right? And that they needed to be sprinting constantly and basically sacrifice themselves for the cause. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they didn't tend to the inner work at all. And as a result, they have so much like unexplored trauma, like these scars from the past. And when we would invite them into spaces to like learn from their wisdom, they would just be like reproducing, like, you know, like, like, all rehashing old battles from the seventies that were no longer relevant and it's like <laughs> yeah, being oh yeah. really like mean people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly learned like, Oh, the people that I want to be my mentors aren't people that like did something that I think is spectacular. Cause it's in some book that I read, but people yeah. who are happy now at, in their older age and still connected and grounded and Mm. like show me how I can live a life of purpose and meaning, uh, making change in this world. And and one mentor we share in common, Francesca is Max Elbaum, who's one of those people who I'm like, Oh, you figured something out, you know, like you figured out how to do this work and be a balanced person along the way as well. And so that guy we ever, I mean, first guy I ever met who was an elder who wasn't like, 
mad that I asked him a question. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just who had a nice, who, who actually um, most older lefties are like, well, the left needs to do now, you know, you gotta do And it's very finger pointy. Anyway, Max Elbaum, who you've heard on this show. Yes. Is everything, but he is list. He listens. He synthesizes. Yeah. He's, he's the best. Yeah. I mean, I, I had hell of abusive relationships with elders. I really did. And so, so that was lesson one. Lesson two was like more in my work as, you know, for a long time, I um, worked with activist organizations in a few different movement sectors, mostly like climate change, indigenous sovereignty, immigrant rights, racial justice, and economic justice. And for a long time, we would do like strategy trainings, organizer skill building trainings, and I quickly learned like what is holding groups back isn't not having the strategy rubric. What's holding them back is trauma, you know, that that most leaders of of social movements are have suffered um, as the result of these systems that we live under. And they found a way to connect their personal pain to an understanding that it was caused by a system. So then they dedicate their lives to transforming that system. And in service of doing that, they face all kinds of repression. They get beaten up by cops, go to jail, have like these totally horrible circular firing squads of lateral violence and endless meeting. Like it just compounds on itself because because also making change in this society is really, really hard. So you get beaten down about the very things that are your original source of pain and trauma. And yes. so it was the wisdom of you know the healing justice movement for example or like the whole canon of black feminist work for example that really helped me take seriously um on on a political sense in terms of my work to realize like oh what we're doing what we need to be doing is helping people deal with the self-limiting beliefs that emerge from trauma and in order to be more effective agents of change Right. Mm. And not because leftists are really good at just like blaming all our problems on the fucking system. Right. Like everything's yeah. capitalism's fault or white supremacy's mm. fault or patriarchy's fault. And that, in a sense, can be true. And also, where's the space for us to find empowerment of, of agency? Right. Like yeah. we, the left has given away the notion of personal responsibility to the right wing. You know, so we hear this idea from the right mm. wing of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, your own problems are your own fault, blah, blah, blah. And we correctly react against that. But we overcorrect and say, oh, all my problems can't be changed until what we overthrow capitalism. So you're just yes, going right. to suffer until then. No, actually or, there's a lot that's I'm still within our be, control. Yes. And, or, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of the way that it excuses toxic behavior and someone yeah. kind of being a piece of shit too. You're really like, look, well, I'm focused on this campaign. We've got a pipeline to stop so I can be a dick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so then the last thing, which, you know, I've, I've been talking for a minute, but we could talk more about it later is, is my own journey, which is that I, I've been like sprinting doing this work, um, not paying attention to myself uh, and not thinking that I deserved that level of attention, especially because I had some like internalized shit about being like a leader who's also a white guy in these social movements and hyper vigilant about doing it the right way and all of that kind of weird stuff. And, and so I just was sprinting. And as a result, I lost access to my body's wisdom and my heart's wisdom and my spirit's wisdom, I hit a wall. It wasn't just burnout, right? I mean, I was burnt out, but mm. it was also existential despair about climate change. It was also chronic autoimmune disorders, which by the way, like 
you know, every organizer that I know who's been in the game for a decade or longer is suffering from an autoimmune disorder where the body mm. turns on itself, right? These are physical Crazy. manifestations of the conditions that we put ourselves in and they're real yeah. and they're, they're physiological as wow. well as emotional, as well as psychological and spiritual. And so I was bedridden for three years and I had to learn how to survive when I nearly died several times. And in the process came out of realizing like, oh, it was, it was the left that got me bedridden, mm. <laughs> you know, it, it like not, not that they don't have roots beyond that, but it was, it was how I learned to be with my problems as the result of being an activist yeah. that, that got me stuck in, in the, and, and that therefore the best gifts that I ever got was being forced to have to transform from the inside out. And that's, yes. that's why now I work to help transform the culture of the left so that it's more inviting, less toxic. It's a healing space. Again, not for the sake of like, woo woo, we just all feel good and like think that we can resolve our problems through breath work, but rather doing that stuff so that we can be more effective in the systemic work on a, on policy grounds, on broad, like on, on, on actually building organizations that can win in concrete material terms. So, yes. Anyway, uh, no, yeah. I think that's I like super identify with that. I wanted to ask Jessica, you know, just to weave this into some of like when, you know, you decided to or you became sober and, and you or started therapy. Like what how did you decide that to put yourself, for lack of a better term, first or to really like, you know, mm. focus on yourself and, and, and make that space for yourself? Um, it's called the gift of desperation is what we call <laughs> it. Um, and it's real like, uh, and you hear people say like, oh, I'm kind of grateful to be an addict or an alcoholic or whatever. And there is something real there where it does like physically force you to have this, um, fork in the road where it's like, I'm going to, something real fucked up is going to happen or I'm going to die or I like choose this other path. And actually I heard so much like kind of 12 E stuff, 12 steppy mm -hmm. stuff and what Joshua was saying. Um, and I, um, and I was just also just thinking about like the ego and how like, like when we say like, Oh, that sounds woo woo, or that sounds like soft, you know, like, it's like, I was like, always like, I want to be like punk rock. I want to be hard. And I want to like, be cool, <laughs> honestly. And I want to do drugs and every and just be like, and just charge forth and talk to people who have done the cool things. And you know, like, um, I, I did do organizing and stuff, activism stuff in college. And, um, I just like, I re I, you know, I used it to like abuse myself, like just a lot of shame. Like I just like lived in the shame of, in the horror and the, mm -hmm. and just like really, um, I think that I, um, I, I just, at some point I knew that, I was emanating a lot of toxicity, like that it, like that it, part of the way I was being like, wasn't helping. And yeah. I needed to step back and be like, what's going on in my own head? Like, what have I not solved? And now I've come to believe like, we have to heal ourselves. Um, 
we have to heal ourselves. Otherwise, how are we going to heal the planet? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, just, I really liked Joshua, what you said about like choosing people who are like happy now. Cause like, you know, like in the 12 step scenario, that would be like, um, like you pick a sponsor or whatever, based on like, they have what you want. Like there's mm. something, there's something in them that you see that you're like, that's how I want to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be kind. I don't know how to be kind. I'm, I'm cursing at all the other drivers and flipping out and acting weird around people. Like, how do I get a mentor that just like teaches me how to be kind or like that I can be around and the stuff about like kind of self accountability or doing for yourself or handing that over to the right is like really interesting to me because that was like a huge thing keeping me from the 12 steps or healing or whatever. Like the only thing that brought me to the 12 steps where I was like, I cannot stop drinking and I have to. Um, so I'll listen to you guys and what you have to say, but I really just want to stop drinking. And then they're like, Oh, you have to go through this like spiritual process actually. (laughs) And it's like, wow, that is so awkward. And it is like, you have to learn how to clean up your side of the street, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to learn how to like be accountable and like figure out what your part is in all of your pain. And that to me is so hard to look at because there's that fear that it's going to, you're going to blame me for there's going to be some victim blaming for my trauma that like Mm. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come back to the idea that if I was assaulted, it was my fault. Um, But that is like not the case. Like you can figure out like, okay, how am I continuing to abuse myself? Like what lies am I telling myself about myself? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like, you know, what is, what do I gain from telling myself I'm broken or, yeah, right. um, you know, those sorts of things. And then there's healing to be done there. And like, you know, the 12 steps still get criticized because they say like that kind of thing is victim blaming, like looking at your part, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, we mm. can, we can look at our own pain and trauma and figure out what we ourselves can do and clean up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more agency in that too. It's so empowering yes. to do that versus I and I think if you relate trauma, personal trauma, childhood trauma, life trauma with also planetary trauma, with also um mm. the trauma of capitalism, the trauma of patriarchy and racism and, and all that, that similarly, and I think what Josh was saying also is like finding agency, um rather than you like no 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 we'll okay well we'll be we'll be healed once we stop capitalism you know what i mean like it's like no a little bit of a make the road by walking and like you know kind of a little bit of the piece pieces the way kind of you know there's no way to piece pieces the way type thing um but to be honest with you that's totally why being cool being cool in activist circles is it's all about being cool. That's not, it's all about having the right analysis, looking the right way, man, my hair wouldn't dread. I was like, fuck, this is just way too clean cut. <laughs> Mine and, would. <laughs> so lucky. Oh my God. No. And that's, it's very much like, you know, also within a very essentialist identity politics and also a very, um, 
uh, I would say almost bastardized identity politics. It's like, if you're a person of color, then you're cool. And if you're queer, you're cool. And if you're not, the, mm -hmm. and if you're working class, you're cool. If you're not those things, you're whack. You know what I mean? And so it's constantly about, okay, I'm going to hide that I am middle class and I am going to, you know, you know, strongly identify as a person of color, um, which I do obviously. And, you know, and, and kind of like, and in, in that, like, okay, well, because I have class privilege, I really can never be an artist. So I, I did not pursue comedy while I was in New York because comedy and doing art is for privileged people. That's what privileged people do is talk about their own lives and their own things. And that's, that's some colonial capitalist bullshit, you know, it's like, no, it's, totally not that it's very yeah. much not that but i absolutely some... muffled that creative side of me because i saw it as such a like such a sin for lack of a better term yeah i mean that that's why i went on my path of of like not paying attention to myself because i didn't think i deserved it right and that was and, and to be clear it's not for me it wasn't like white guilt it was actually a, a form of trauma from mm. movements that when it, it's ironically and again not to just like throw around where like one of the funny things about like identity politics is people just weaponize concepts and just throw them back at each other but either but it, it yeah. is like a very colonized way to look at things to reduce people to their social location which for me was like the way the way that i came up in in the movements that i served was that all right well as a white guy born into a white supremacist and patriarchal society um just by existing i was causing harm right uh, mm -hmm. because because of the way that these systems work and i was participating in them therefore in order to be a good person I needed to pay my rent for living on the planet and do good work, right? And there's actually an aspect of truth to that, but the but but if if that's your entire worldview, right? If you think people are reducible to their social location and that's the only side of politics that you have, right? Then what it meant for me in the context of not having a spiritual life, of being part of basically like a secular atheist movement that wasn't connected to a North Star bigger than itself or bigger than ideology. What that meant was I didn't define, I didn't have any inherent sense of dignity. Instead, I define myself based on what I do, not based yeah. on who I am. Yeah. And because I based myself on my sense of self based on what I did, I I sprinted, I did a lot. I wrote a lot of books. I like shut down pipeline. I, I mean, I'm proud of the work that I did, but mm -hmm. um, in the process, um, I became hyper vigilant about basically policing myself because mm -hmm. my understanding of power was uh, like, our movements had gotten far away from understanding that like a very small minority of people in this world hold all the structural power. And instead we, we uh, moved in this way that reduced things to social location in a way that produced all, all of this weird behavior on the left, that's self-righteous, yeah. self-marginalizing, reductive, trapped in these either or binaries where it's either all your fault or all the system's fault. And that's like what you were talking about before, Jessica, of this sort of like fear of victim blaming when it's it's obviously there's both, like our, our options and our suffering are shaped by the society we live in. And in almost every circumstance, we as individuals can find more choices than we realize that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of what my organization, The Wildfire Project, 
does with groups is to say like actually the left does have a victim mindset and mm. um and that doesn't mean that the the right wing's answer is the correct response to that what it means is that like what movement in history has won by mm -hmm. say by having oppressed people guilt their oppressors into feeling bad for their oppression and then giving away all their power saying nothing will change until our oppressors do the work to make the change that's not yeah. how change happens right mm. and so that that sort of good bad binary thinking obsession with purity um mm. doesn't actually constitute a politics what it constitutes to is is a is a retreat from politics right and and yeah. moving into interpersonal moral policing um, instead of building movements that are broad-based, inviting and inclusive that help people grow the pie of, of power. And so, yes. um, and, and I, and I have come to believe that like the pathway through that is, is this inner work for the sake of doing the outer work. Right. So mm. just to take for granted, there's a lot of like, weird dumb hippie shit that is about doing the inner work for its own sake and and also you know the spiritual bypassing thing of like you know imagining that if you can change yourself that that will alone change the world yeah that's not that's, that's not some right. liberal shit yeah yeah and though focusing only on the external isn't going to change the world either Totally, totally. And I think, and I think like reclaiming self care from liberal shit is really what I am all about. But I, I don't, from my transformation, my transformation, keeping it 100 was out of movement work. Joshua, you and I actually coalesced for maybe a week. I don't know. I started working at Rainforest Forest Action Network. Oh for my like, God, I forgot. I forgot okay. all about that. Remember, remember <laughs> that. Okay. So, Francesca had fallen in love with a dude in Argentina and she was like, maybe I'll go live there and actually be in love yeah. and like feel my feelings and maybe I'll go take a break from New York and da 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 But then I like convinced myself that no, that wasn't the right path because I'm going to just, just get waylaid and I should be working in a nonprofit. So I went and I worked at Rainforest Action Network and I will not name names, but there are wonderful people. Uh, working there and I was not partnered with one of the wonderful people. <laughs> I was partnered with a very sort of very mean person who um, was about five years older than me at the time. And in a similar way that Joshua, you're saying you saw these mentors who've been like, you know, so, so spent years just holding on to like shit. I saw this person who was, you know, 30 and I was about 25 or, you know, 32 and I was like 28, whatever it was. Um, that's not the right math, but you know what I'm saying? And I was like, Oh, I want to know myself and be way nicer when I'm at that person's age, like I cannot work under this person or with this, or like, like I need to go do this other thing. I need to bounce to Argentina and like, you know, drink mate and chill and learn a new language and like be 100 and like 100% mm. out of my own self because, and I, I don't think this sounds like uh, a privileged thing, but I do think living abroad is so enriching because you are 100% outside of yourself and you're like, who am I really? What constitutes me? Now I'm going to reconstitute myself. And it's beautiful. It's fascinating. It's humbling like nothing else is humbling. Me fucking blabbermouth not being able to speak because I don't speak mm. the language yet is so humbling. And and so that was allowing myself to take five years 
to start doing stand-up in Argentina, to start doing a YouTube channel in Argentina, to start feeling like I could, obviously this all was coupled with like a lot of Tara Brock, who I'm a super big supporter of. She's a housing rights activist turned uh, therapist, turned Dharma teacher, big mm -hmm. into Dharma talks and insight meditation. That's my other plug. But like so much unlearning of how I was my own worst enemy, how the policing that Josh, we were talking about, we police ourselves all of the time. We police ourselves. Oh, you can't have that contradiction because, um, let me see in the uh, moral police code here. You're not allowed to have that contradiction. You know what I mean? You can't like Britney Spears and be an anti-capitalist. That's a very specific example. And it's very particular to my life. But <laughs> um, one time a bunch of activist friends walked in on me as I was, I like would go dancing every Thursday at this gay club in New York. And I remember some activist friends like came in and I was like, and the teeth of your lip, and I was like dancing to toxic and I was like, Oh my God, I'm an anarchist. Yeah. Fight the power. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Like I but was, that was toxic. It was literally toxic. It's so funny <laughs> that you use the term pure, pure. You said purity or something, Josh, because it is, it's like so puritanical. Yeah. And I was like, I was, I think at one point in like my recovery, I was listening to some Dharma talk and, you know, I have this thought of myself, like I, everything I do is so fucked. Every fruit that I eat is from some fucked up place. <laughs> there, there, there's some funny like, um, humor about that. Like in the movie Oakjaw, where like the activists won't even like eat a blueberry because it's like, he's like, all food is exploitative. <laughs> and um, and I was listening to the Starma talk, and it was just like, what do you do that's good in a day? Like, do you know? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do that's not a problem? Like, mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm a part of the earth. <laughs> like, I'm an animal. I have all kinds of interactions that are beautiful. <laughs> like, even just like, like, look... <laughs> Just like simple stuff. Like I, I look at a bird and a bird looks at me like, that's fine. No, <laughs> I didn't hurt anyone there. Why do I have this huge view of myself? Like I'm just like a fucking monster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when you start mm -hmm. to see the good things you do, like, oh, I made that dog wag his tail. When you kind of see yourself in a sweeter way, like it's so much easier to have a positive impact yeah. when you're not so worried about how you're, how you're so fucked up and not to say you yeah. don't continue to critically analyze and do better. That's like very important, but you also have to like see yourself as like a part of what you love, which is, yeah. and what you want to save, <laughs> what you want to help. Well, I, I just want to, Briefly, just say, I meant to say this in the beginning, but I meant to quote Nina Simone uh, <laughs> from the song, I think, Blues for Mama. What is it called? Where she says, ain't nobody perfect because ain't nobody free. And that I think we should all live by, have that tattooed everywhere. Ain't mm -hmm. nobody perfect because ain't nobody free. Yeah, the uh, three of us should get matching tattoos, I think. And this. all of the listeners. How many are there? Every every eleven person here. <laughs> Joshua, sorry, I interrupted you. What you're gonna what were you gonna say? Yeah, all good. No, your your Nina Simone quote made me think of you know, Bob Marley's song first song when he was 16 was Judge Not. And um Ooh. it was it's like a deeply prof it's like 
the level of like fundamental profound that only like a wise 16 year old could say, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's my favorite Bob Marley song, but what, you know, Jessica, th there's two things that you're saying that, that struck me. One is, you know, of course, like this is the opposite of how activists get trained, right? Like the way that people on the left get trained to think is to analyze what's problematic about everything. And of mm -hmm. course, we live in a deeply sick society mm -hmm. in a fundamentally structurally broken world that is on the brink <laughs> of yeah. ecological catastrophe and the collapse of our species. You can find what's wrong with literally everything in everything and you would be correct. And, <laughs> um, and if uh. that's the only muscle that you cultivate, if that's the only muscle memory you have, then that's all you will see. And the, mm -hmm. one of the, the deep wisdoms of almost every spiritual tradition mm -hmm. is that you need to train your brain to pay attention to what's good and feed it because that's right. how you grow that. You're not going to grow, you know, and, and um, Adrienne Marie Brown's way of phrasing that, which a lot of people say in a lot of different ways, the way she says it is uh, what you pay attention to grows. Right. And so are we paying attention to and nourishing and nurturing the um, the things that we want to support or are we purely training our brains to see, which are wired for pattern recognition? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's one of the reasons why so many leftists are so depressed is that they train their brains mm -hmm. to only see what's messed up about everything, including themselves. And um and so if there's not balance with that, if there's not a, an intentional practice you have about whether it's a gratitude practice, whether it's, I mean, there's so many different ways uh, in, in various traditions of, of, of paying attention to, to, to what's good. And, and an aspect of that, that, you know, when you were mentioning the, the 12 steps, Jessica, that is, uh, I, I think, a thing that activists can learn from is also this concept of surrender. You know, which which mm. I know that in in twelve step lands, there's like controversy around the God stuff or starting to a higher power or however you articulate what that means. But I've found that especially working on climate change, where mm. if your head is is fully in the climate science, it is hard to not be in a place of constant despair. Um, to be able to surrender to something bigger than yourself in a spiritual way, whether that is nature, the earth cycles, whether whatever it is, um, you're not going to find a, you're, you're going to be like the, so, so, you know, one of the things one of my teachers says is that, you know, the, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. Right. Mm. And that what fear is about is control. Right. And control is the opposite of faith and that liberation movements throughout history have needed to have faith in being part of a multi-generational long project of liberation that you're playing mm. a tiny, small role in that you may not fully realize in your lifetime. But you have Love. faith in the arc of, of, of the universe and if, if, if we build it and if we make it so. And therefore, surrendering is about letting go of control so that you can find your power and your agency and let go of your petty ego need to fucking like like contract about everything right yeah and and that's something that i all of my friends who are sober who moved through the 12 step traditions or some version of it have found their version 
of of letting go and i and and i think if activists could do that and not be so focused on like activists are just terrible at that and they and they confuse surrender for submission right right yeah surrender is not submission well yeah because your ego and your brain wants to it's it feels like if you let it go then you're gonna lose your opportunity to do it to fix it to go and it's like um and it's it's so overwhelming it'll make you sick um you know we're in the one of the steps you write about your resentments mm. and oh. i wrote a whole book on capitalism and <laughs> just like everything i resent about it and some of it was so like just kind of a, a, about me and like just the way I live my life. And like, I can't just do comedy and make a million dollars. Like there was some really (laughs) sort of petty stuff in there as well as some bigger stuff. Like it's killing the earth and the children. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, the question was posed to me is like, is there something bigger than capitalism? And it's like, that like blew my mind at the time because I'd made it so big in my head, so Mm -hmm. all powerful that it's like, there's a whole, you know, not to get too woo woo, but there is a whole universe and infinite existence and wisdom beyond capitalism that does not bow down to capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know? Look, look at it now. I mean, the earth is showing us that it does not bow down to capitalism at all. Um, I, I think that's a really, I think when so many progressives, leftists get woke um, and become politicized around capitalism, sexism, racism, climate change, it's so all consuming because it also feels like you've been lied to by Mm. the stewards of this earth, right? That like no one is being honest with you. I mean, literally, I do have a Greta Thunberg inside of me. I wake up Greta Thunberg every fucking day, bro. Yeah, you like you ruined my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How <laughs> dare you? Like, I just, I am so Greta. And she is the id of, I think, a lot of us when we're like, wait a minute, why aren't we freaking out at all times? And yet, poor thing. My God, mm. I hope she's got some sort of, and I, I'm sure she does have some, you know, practices to help her. But like, it is... It will literally drive you into the ground if you're constantly living like everything is an emergency, right? Like it is an emergency and yet we're going to drive ourselves sick and we have driven ourselves sick and we do if we treat it as such. Um, but I think you're totally right. It's like, that's the thing about the left. We think we're so, we're like, ah, oh, we're so great because we got to figure it out. Where we took the blue, you know, blue pill. What's the, what's the good pill? We took the red pill. I don't want to talk about pills. The point is the following. <laughs> I would like um, some pills. <laughs> We'd all like pills at this point in the show, but it, we think we've got it figured out that it's like, no, 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 this is the framework. And it's like, yeah, but actually what if there's something even bigger than that? Like you're saying, Jessica, mm-hmm. um, that is even more radical. Um, and I think Beautiful. something else. Yeah. It, I think it's Susan Sontag. I'm going to forget who this is. <laughs> I'm like, Susan. Uh, was it no, wait, Susan? hang on. Was it? <laughs> hey, Audrey. How do you make a Negroni? <laughs> what did Susan uh, Sontag say? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, okay, it's not Susan Sontag. <laughs> Susan Sontag said a lot of great things, but Barbara Kingsolver... Okay. (laughs) No, Barbara Kingsolver has this quote that I fucking love. And it is, um, 
The least you can hope to do with your life is find out what you hope for. That's the very least. And the most you can do is live inside that hope and not mm -hmm. look at it from the outside in, but live inside mm -hmm. of that hope. The rest, mm -hmm. and then she says, live, not admire it at a distance, but live in under its roof, under the roof of that hope, which whether that is wanting to do comedy, whether that is wanting to change the world and have community, whether it's wanting to have a family, whether it's all the kinds of things that, that one can hope for. Living inside that hope is very beautiful. She continues that, what she wants, she's like, what I want is something so simple, I can't even, it feels, I can't even articulate it. It feels like wrong to even name it. She says, I want radical kindness. I want like, that's what I want to be so kind. like, you know, like, and then, and that, and that I feel like is like, mm, that shit is very resonate. It resonates with me a lot. Um, and I think mm. we are often taught to live in our lives, um, from the outside in, you know, from, and not from the inside out, uh, whether yeah. or not we think we're not deserving of something and, but I want to, okay. I want to end and wrap. This is such, we could go on forever, but I, I feel like I've done a, mediocre job speaking of not trying not to self-judge, but I'm like, how do we piece it all together? But I want to look at like what, you know, what, what are the tools that we've used to actually like heal ourselves? You know what I mean? Um, and for me that absolutely I've named the things I've named the Dharma talks, the meditation that like literal yoga, like I have like an alarm clock in my body. If I overwork my, I will, it'll go off and it's like, cannot do this anymore. Hmm. Um, and other things have been like, yeah, pursuing some passions, pursuing comedy. I also have not been in organizing spaces for a long time, Joshua. I feel like, I think I might be too impatient for them. <laughs> like the most impatient person I know. So when like, there's a ch check-in that lasts for more than 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> kill me. I need to die now. Um, but I recognize I was at a moment in my life and if I ever, you know, did organizing work again, it'd be from a new angle. And, and I found I'm on the propaganda team and I'm very comfortable on the propaganda team. But um, I don't know, like, Jessica, what is something from the 12 step program that you're like every we need this for all people? Are you like like, is it the resentment thing? <laughs> like, like, what is like this would heal way more people than just addicts? I think the most important thing I get from it is um, connection and just making it a point to call people, be in groups with people and get honest with them without um, considering what they might think of me. Mm -hmm. um, and um, also taking care of people and being there for them with boundaries, of course, but um, regardless, whatever, w whether I think, what I think about them. Um, right. No judgment, being able to share without judgment. Right. Like, like I might not like y your, you <laughs> in theory, <laughs> like I might not <laughs> love whatever <laughs> bands you listen to or the energy you get off that you give off. But like, if you say, Hey, I need help. Like, and if I can do it, I'll do it. And like that, it just, yeah. Um, just I think making that community a point is to huge. connect with people. Yeah. Community. That's, that's, that's number one. It's like one. having a phone it's learning tree. learning how to be around people and love people. 
It's like an emotional phone tree, which I would really be down for. Um, yes. Joshua, I know you have a little non-traditional slash more very much more interest, not more interesting. A Thanks non, a yeah. Josh, <laughs> you have a more interesting way. No, um, you are more interesting than Jessica. I'm the one who's like, what? I do yoga. We're not judging. I'm sorry. Too. I'm sorry. We're not judging. We're yeah. Not judging. I'm like, wow, where's all these self-limiting beliefs come from? Yoga Namaste. is exciting. Namaste. And Namaste. Jessica, Namaste. I just want to also say with your with your mention of your punk rock, punk rock coolness youth. I, I grew up in the punk scene listening to bands called like alienated despair and stuff right. like that. Yeah. They were all I remember about... I was at a party once and this guy had a sweatshirt on and I was wasted and his sweatshirt said fuck the universe and I was like yes I've never heard anything that was more right on like I hate the whole universe everyone sucks <laughs> yeah well okay let me let me mention a couple things that have been helpful to me uh which is um well and also if I can be a little bit self-promoting for a minute um it's actually not self-promoting off offer some resources that I'm working on yeah um, please. So uh, I, I have a new like mini podcast series on a, on a podcast called uh, Rev Left Radio, Revolutionary Left Radio, called Dialectics and Psychedelics. And part of what we explore are these themes of, um, you know, existential climate despair, personal agency, um, overthrowing capitalism. You know, it's like socialism, spirituality, and science. And um, Ugh, it's love also... It gets into uh, a little bit of, of me sharing my journey um, with psychedelic plant medicines. Um, and that is, is, you know, like we're on the, in the beginning of a new kind of renaissance, a new boom around psychedelic plant medicines, both as uh, treatment for addiction, treatment for uh, autoimmune disorders, treatment for cancers, but also- but Boring um, personalities. As <laughs> and and breaking through the malaise of of the worldview that this civilization has given us, which is a very narrow, myopic way of seeing the world. Um, mm, and yeah. and instead, you know, there's there's a lot of conversation now politically about decolonization of sort of breaking through the frames in our minds about how he relates to all beings in the earth. There's also the decolonization of the heart, and a lot of these plant medicines um, are are a way of doing that. And so if you want a deeper dive, you can you can look on Apple Podcasts, just search for dialectics and psychedelics or Rev Left Radio psychedelics. Yeah. And um and then also, you know, the if you want to check out my organization, the Wildfire Project, it's just wildfireproject.org. And a lot of what we are up to is is really focusing on on these collective like our our whole proposition is that we need to learn how to be in groups again, that we live mm -hmm. in a society that teaches us to not how to be in groups. You know, we live our lives individuated yes. and alienated mostly yes. through the internet and blah, 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 which is why, of course, of course, when people join organizations, they're all kinds of difficult and, you know, like it's a real headache. Like being an activist is not fun for most people unless you're like a, um, Masochist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I almost said a misogynist. <laughs> I was like, what's the word? <laughs> also, what's that N word that's bad? Um, and um, and so where we are all about spreading the relational skills to be self-aware enough to be in a group productively 
which is the basis of being of being happy. And um, and then, you know, like on a personal level, like the basics that y'all are mentioning are just that's what for me, it's like be outside more, drink more mm. water breathe with intention, you know, everything else on that on top of that is like, great, if you cultivate a meditation practice or yoga practice or a prayer work or, and just to also say, you know, to all my, you know, secular atheist friends, one, one thing that was very helpful for me was learning about what prayer is, (laughs) which Mm. is that I, I thought, you know, prayer, because, because the hegemonic religions, especially in this society, I think teach you that like prayer is about like asking for things, right? you know, from a magical being outside of yourself. Sure. Prayer is like a spiritual technology that is, it's just about taking a moment of intention, right? Where you can like reflect, you know, like focus on what's good, offer gratitude, have some humility, and it can give you clarity about what you want in your life. It's not about like, you don't need to have a theistic worldview of, of, of praying to a sky God in order to have a moment in your day where you reflect with intention about what you want for other people, what you're grateful for, for yourself and, and, and what, you know, you're, you're going for in life. And so just a quick shout out to, to prayer, not needing to be a dumb thing. Totally. Um, and not needing to only happen on airplanes, which is when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And not just, yeah, in, in moments of turbulence and all kinds. And so then then just to kind of bring it home, because I know I'm a little bit all over the map uh, with, with this question, just to like also land it in some big picture, like you were talking about hope. Um, both of you were talking about hope, which is like hope is about to me like ha- being part of. Oh, did we lose Jessica for Second. Yeah, but go. Can what were you saying? Start with hope to me, and I will edit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, hope is is to me. It, it's very difficult to find hope if you're if if you are looking in the near term. And I know we've been talking about like personal practices of breath and self reflection, but actually studying history is what gives me hope. Not mm. because I believe in the there, there is this sort of neoliberal idea that like history is just this more you know on this moral arc of getting better and better. I don't believe that things can definitely get worse. History is nonlinear. Um, and things can get worse before they get better. But to understand yourself as part of a multi-generational long project um, and that that to, to be able to have hope for the species because our purpose is evolution. That's like the the instigating force of, of the animating force of life on, on this planet is yeah. evolution. And to have faith that that can happen socially as well as biologically. Um, and that it's a much longer process that we play a tiny role in. And if you can have enough humility to know that you may not see the dramatic changes in your lifetime, you can both be grateful for the small changes that you do see, but also connect to, to a larger arc of, of, of hope. And I'll give one example of what I mean by that, which is we were talking about climate change earlier. And this, this I, I, I'm struck by how racialized this experience has been for me, which is I, I have a lot of um, white friends who... Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about like, I don't know if I want to have kids. The planet is fucked. Like, yeah. I don't know if I want to bring kids into this world. And I think that's very reasonable of a perspective. I'm not personally going to have kids, not for that reason necessarily, but it, it makes sense to me. But also um, a lot of my black friends, when I, when I pose the same question to them, they're like, are you kidding me? Like 
like it's our responsibility to raise up a new generation that's going to be navigating the challenges that are coming so that we can move through it with resiliency to bring about the next stage of the evolution of our species. If my ancestors who were enslaved for generations upon generations upon generations and had no materially grounded reason to hope that their kids would have a good life, yeah, uh, no real reason to, 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 to think that their kids might have a life, anything other than suffering, if they had chosen that path, I wouldn't be alive today. Mm. And because they chose, they chose to have kids and have life because they believed in the longer arc of a freedom struggle. That's what planted the seeds for all of this amazing leadership. That's that. I mean, it, I mean, not just survival and thriving um, of 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 overcoming genocide, but but also leading the world to a new way of being based on the insight that comes from from that that historical circumstance. And so, um, you know, there's there's the, the difference between those two perspectives. Isn't that like? Oh, white people don't get it. It's that like one has a longer historical view, mm, you know, and, yeah. and and is rooted in experience. And so I think the more we root ourselves in a bigger picture of history, the more we can imagine our way forward. So that's my pitch for hope. Sorry, Josh, can you repeat all of that? <laughs> <laughs> my internet cut out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. How can I be hopeful again? Um, I really I, need, what. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I love that. Um, uh, basically Joshua's pro-life, um, <laughs> in, in the best way possible as we all are. Um, yeah, it reminds me also, I think some of what you were saying reminds me of, um, like, okay. So two things I want to just end this on is one, when it comes to movements and health and like trying not to police one another, judge one another, get a little bit more 12 step in our 12 steps in our step. <laughs> like I think about this idea of um, the cancel culture BS, right. And the cancel culture discussion. And I think where the cancel culture discussion is, is has a shred of truth is when it feels like the choices in politics and in um, and in life and in organizing and on the internet and whatever in, with your friends is like the difference between, okay, here are two choices. You can either be perfect or you can be human. I'm going to choose human every single day. Like, and you, it is not reasonable for our movements and our friends and our online families and our, and our offline families to ever ask people to choose perfection because you won't be able to do it. You can't. And so we need to offer like, again, with the, the calling in and lifting up and like, you know, there are just ways we can change our behavior that really, that really make movements really make leftism attractive. Uh, Michael Albert used to say, make them sticky, <laughs> kind of a little grosser than I would like, but <laughs> um, you know, and and make it appealing for people to join and be part of. And I know Joshua and the Wildfire Project have done a lot on that. And the other thing I was just going to say is I love in the Dharma, like, you know, in Dharma talks and teaching um, the idea, I think it's Suzuki Roshi who wrote the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Um, and the idea is basically like 
the expert's mind has no options. The expert's mind is not full of magic, wonder, curiosity. When you're an expert, there's one avenue. It's your theory. It's your hypothesis. You've proven it. You know it. Done. But a beginner's mind a, a is wondrous, is curious, is magical. And like that is such a better place. Doesn't mean you, you're not ignorant. Beginner's mind is not ignorant, but it is open. And I think that's very interesting to keep in mind as you learn more, as you learn from other people, as you see folks who want to keep on steering you to having a closed mind, having an expert mind um, versus people who want to steer you to having that beginner's mind. Um so yeah, I, I love I love those two things. Um, we have to wrap, but this is just so lovely. I am really, really uh, grateful for you guys, both of you. I know you separately, and now you know one another. And we're like, I knew I know both of you were going to be down for this conversation. Um, is there anything else that anyone wants to add, Jessica? You just came back. You've learned about hope. Um, I have not learned about hope. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> okay. That's fine. I, just, I'll, I think, you, I think you're both great. And I would <laughs> love to connect with Yellow. you. I would love to scissor <laughs> you both. <laughs> Please don't cancel, don't cancel me. For it's that. hard to do that with three people. But I, <laughs> it can be done. It's like I'm, a starfish. I'm, I'm telling you, it's possible. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, and we'll I leave it there. Pro no, scissoring, <laughs> in general, I'm one of the few people that I know uh, in this Pride Month that I'm like one of the few people that knows how to scissor. To be honest, damn. So we'll put all the resources, including how to scissor in the description for the show. So no, but for real, I, I would love to put like reading suggestions, um, obviously Joshua's podcast, Jessica's podcast, and anything that you guys have felt have helped you all. Let's collect it. And, um, and yeah, I'm super excited for folks comments and for folks to like, tell us about their particular journeys. Um, and, you know, maybe we can address it in a future episode or another, you know, AMA, ask me anything. Those tend to be fun. Um, and thank you everyone in the chat, Robert Gilbert, Dazzler Fu, and all the patrons for being here. Um, Jessica, take very good care. Be, be, be very well. I'll see you in, in real life, uh, spitting droplets and Joshua, same. Uh, everybody follow Josh on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. At Josh Con Russell. And follow Jessica Seeley at J Seeley on Twitter. All right, guys. This has been the Bituation Room bonus episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've gone on this journey with us. Remember, um, fuck the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't fuck the universe. The universe should be unfucked. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. My. I can do it with my left. Okay. <laughs> We're making the Star Trek sign. Love y'all. Bye.